Hello and welcome to the Music Survival Guide, the independent musician's guide on how to survive in the music industry. My name is Phil and I'm a mixing engineer with Fortis Sound Studios and I am joined by... Hello, my name is Joe Sage and I am a producer and a mix engineer. How are you doing, Phil? I'm very well. Enjoying enjoying life in lockdown. Lo- <laughs> loving life on my own with my wife. How about you? You're a poet. I didn't even know it. I, I don't, never say that again. <laughs> I'm doing good, mate. Um, took a delivery of scones from my neighbour via the top of the wall uh, and traded them for loo roll. So, um, was this like a ladder delivery? or No, just, just uh, aerial. Just propelled it over the wall. <laughs> In aggression? <laughs> this doesn't sound simple. You know, it's, uh, didn't have a completely misspent youth playing cricket. Are they flo- were they floor scones? No, they weren't floor scones. Okay. That's right. <laughs> I'm glad we agree on the pronunciation of scones, because that would be awkward otherwise. That would be very awkward. That's, that's yeah, an area for complaint, I feel. <laughs> Submit your complaints below. Yeah. Uh, today's episode's a bit of a different one, isn't it? Yes, it is. We have, or should I say, Joe has, because I listened, um, not live, uh, an interview... <laughs> Yeah, so it's with uh, Mark, the frontman from a Yorkshire-based band called Let Man Loose. We kind of cover everything from like highs and lows of the band, uh, how to market themselves correctly, cutting through on social media, their experience of recording over 10 years, which I think is a really interesting part of the interview. So yeah, keep an ear out for that. And also we talk about their new release, which we have at the end of the show as well. Hmm. It's a really interesting interview. Mm-hmm. So, without further ado, should we just jump in? Yeah, let's do it. Hello, and welcome to the Music Survival Guide. I'm delighted to say that today's guest's gig highlights include playing Dot to Dot Festival and opening for the likes of Black Honey. They've also attracted attention and got airplay from BBC Introducing, BBC Radio 6 and Radio X. I'm delighted to say that today's guest is Mark from Let Man Loose. How are you doing, mate? I'm not bad, Joe. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure, mate. It's a pleasure. So, just for anyone who might not have heard of you guys, just tell the listeners a bit about the band. Uh, we're Let Man Loose from Hull in the East Riding of Yorkshire, uh, right out there on our own. Uh, we play a blend of Queens of the Stone Age-inspired rock with uh, colloquial uh, melodic lyrics similar to the Arctic Monkeys and with some melodic Beatles influence as well. Awesome, mate. Awesome. So I kind of want to take things right back to the start of Let Man Loose. Can you tell me about your first ever gig as a band? First ever gig as a Let Man Loose lineup was in 2017 uh, we have a weekly free entry uh, music night called the sesh at the polar bear um, and you've got to be you've got to be good to get on that lineup um, it's a it's a fantastic thing to have in the city like a consistently good um, weekly music night and we booked our debut show for there uh to sort of challenge ourselves to be ready to to hit the ground running uh we'd been in a band before that called felony just a three-piece so we were we were known if you like to the people on the scene um yeah but that first gig was 
also the first ever gig for our guitar player, Jamie. So he'd picked up the guitar a few years before, but yeah, carry on. Okay, so what was um, what was kind of like the crowd and the attendance for that type of gig? Um, it's the reason the sesh is so good is because people will go there just because it's the sesh and not necessarily just because there's a band that they know and like on the lineup. Mm. People will go on a Tuesday evening um, just to watch good live music. So the attendance is always good, but obviously because it was our first gig as Let Man Loose, the people that we knew, our friends and stuff, were all with uh, all attended with heightened excitement, if you'd like to put it that way, to see what we'd been up to, the new stuff we'd been writing. Yeah. Would you say that added an extra level of pressure? Because quite a lot of bands, when they start out, they kind of do like the whole empty pub gig, play into an empty room thing. By the sound of things, you kind of came into the live scene as Let Man Loose in quite a big way. Was there an extra pressure or do you think that kind of helped with uh, getting the band started? I think it helped because we had actually been in the rehearsal room for about a year working on the Let Man Loose stuff. So we were like ready by then. Mm. Um, we needed to get out and play it to people. And yeah. having having had all that preparation, I don't think... Well, there will have been nerves, but I think they were, you know, the good nerves, the ones that get you to play well and minimal with minimal mistakes and things like that. Uh, not, not bad nerves. Mm. So I want to pick up on something you said there, which was that you were rehearsing for nearly a year before you made like your live de- debut as Let Man Loose. What was the moment that you kind of realised that you wanted to start playing live? Huh. Um, well, you know, you get on, well, when you're on Facebook, every day it pops up saying this is what you were doing three years ago, etc. Mm. Um, I think when we would when we decided to finish off the felony project, um, it had sort of run its course and we needed, or I needed, to take a fresh look at things. So I played around with a few different people in Hull, different drummer, um, a couple, tried out a couple of bass players, and eventually we ended up sticking with uh, Danny, uh, who was our drummer in Felony and is our drummer now. I say that like we tried to find someone better but couldn't. We didn't. We just tried to do something fresh just to see what ideas came out to the table. And it ended up that like we just missed Dan, if you like. Yeah. Um, so it sort of fell. Yeah. I think there's a lot to be said for personal connections in those situations. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, Dan was just the natural fit. He's a he's a good laugh. Uh, I've gone slightly off, off piece there. Uh, Facebook had told me something like, your last gig with Felony was a year ago. And then another six months went past after that. And I was like, I've not been on the stage singing and playing any songs for 16 months or 18 months or whatever it was. And I remember sort of sharing that it was a picture from that last felony show. I remember sharing that, like, I need to get out on stage. And I think that was, in answer to your question, that was the thing that the catalyst for for needing to get playing live again. Yeah. And since then, we haven't really stopped for three years. And it's been it's been good. Yeah. Was there a particular moment you realised you guys could kind of be a band and start to push, kind of move out of say the the hobbyist realm and kind of go okay yeah we've got aspirations to to tour and make this 
our, our our living our livelihoods was there a particular moment where you you kind of clicked that that was a possibility i think that sort of feeling came from um wanting to wanting to not repeat so you make mistakes don't you in in bands or you learn from your mistakes um and you you always work out how you could do things better and i think from previous bands we'd been in and the project before um let man loose i think we'd been on such a rocky sort of curve where we'd do something we'd get the attention would pick up on us a little bit and then we wouldn't capitalize on that properly and we'd let that sort of buzz die down and we just we kept doing that for four or five years Mm. and that time off having that having that year or so to just take the time write a set of new material and really think about how we wanted to present ourselves when we launched ourselves as let man loose that that really made me think right we cannot let up with our like we got we got to stay relentless and we've got to keep plugging away and learn from previous mistakes to to do a better job really and learning more about how people like to digest music these days and keep up to date with what you're doing mm. ha- having learned all that i think allowed us to do a much better job the second time round. Cool. So leading on from that, what would you say has been the biggest band highlight so far for you? Biggest band highlight. So we've had we've had a few cool support slots. Uh, you alluded to the fact in your intro that we'd played with Black Honey. Um, that was a cool one to mm-hmm. do. Uh, and you also mentioned Dot to Dot in Nottingham. Uh, we also played with Zal Clemenson, uh, the guitar player from the sensational Alex Harvey band. But um, our highlight, I would say, there's been two. Um, the organisers of the Sesh Weekly Night that I mentioned before also put on a annual music festival around the Hull Marina area called the Humber Street Sesh. Mm-hmm. So that is a all-day festival. It's now expanded into the Friday night and the, uh, the entire of Saturday. And that is, without a doubt, the event that everybody in Hull looks forward to more than it's better than Christmas without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. And the weather always tends to be absolutely stunning. <laughs> Which that that's a miracle in itself. It is. And but uh, as they've grown each year, they've started to get more out of town bands. So some highlights last year were Calva Louise, All Us in Love, uh, you know, sort of up and coming exciting bands. So it's a real mix of not just Hull bands but I'd say 50% of the lineup is local music sort of peppered then with up and coming exciting new acts so that is a real barometer for us anyway on how what we're doing is being received in Hull Mm. and obviously we have aspirations further than Hull we we do gig nationally and are sort of working on building our profile nationally but it's always nice to see sort of where you stand in your hometown so the the last the last two years last year we played on the bbc introducing stage at about four in the afternoon which was a good slot we were really happy with that and then 2019 we played 
on one of the big stages as vice headliners. So we were on about nine o'clock, which was tough because we had to spend all day not drinking too much. But it really did pay off with an amazing show, including sick lighting and stuff like that. So to to do vice headline slot at Humber Street Sesh was pretty special and one of our highlights for sure. And I'm sure that providing this year's Humber Street Sesh goes ahead and we make the lineup, I'm sure this would be our highlight of this year as well. Mm. So to counter that point, what would you say has been your toughest moment as a band? Toughest moment as a band? That is a good question. <laughs> our toughest moment as a band would be, I think, our second gig after the sesh one that we've mentioned. Mm. The sesh one had gone without a hitch, as I said, with the with the good nerves. And then our second gig was a bit of a smaller affair in, I think it was in Scunthorpe. And we had we had a few technical problems uh, and one of the guitar tuners wasn't working. Mm. And we ended up, you know, cutting the set quite short because we were up there and just couldn't seem to fix any of the problems as and when required. They were just getting worse, and um, we had to we had to cut our losses and and uh, get off the stage as quickly as we could that time. That was probably our toughest moment, but we've learnt from that to uh, always make sure that everything's in tune and everything's plugged in and working as it should and well maintained. Always maintain your gear to the to the highest highest standard possible, and then you won't have gigs like that. Yeah, I think it's a really important point there is what you said is that you learn from it, I think is the most important aspect of that. I don't think there's necessarily an issue with making mistakes. It's kind of what your first few gigs should be like. It's making sure that you take away from them and don't make those mistakes in the future. I think that's where bands kind of run into a lot of issues. Um, So talking kind of about just sticking on that topic of like negative stuff is... How do you handle any criticism? And I don't necessarily mean, you know, people abusing you online or whatever. But even in those moments where you said, you know, things were going wrong, what's your mindset? Are you you worried about what other people think? How how do you deal with that? Uh, I think as performers, it's probably quite natural to be worried about what other people are thinking. Um, But equally, it's as important not to sort of fake fake your way out of it, if that makes sense. Like, mm. people would rather see that you were having some issues and would be far more likely to bear with you while you got them sorted if you're, like, upfront about it and sort of let them know, right, okay, this isn't necessarily going as it should be. But then there's a there's a fine balance there between looking like an amateur and looking like a pro who's having some problems on that particular occasion. Mm. So I think in that sort of scenario, it is easy to to run down a rabbit hole of, ah, it's all going wrong, panic, 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 and then you would just make things worse for yourself if you do that. So I think on a personal level anyway, I've learned, I mean, from my very first gigs when I was school age, leaving school, the difference in myself now between between then and now is definitely a, an ability to just think, okay, 
that's not working. I've got 30 seconds here where I'm not singing to sort it out mm. rather than thinking, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. That's definitely just something that comes with experience. I think uh, in our latest London show, I was moving around and I pulled my guitar jack lead out of my tuner. Mm. No, I didn't. I apologize. I pulled my pedal power supply out of the of the plug. Oh no. <laughs> so all my, my guitar just went off totally. And I managed to sort of lean over in a break, kick it in, and then get back to the mic just in time to sing. And afterwards the lads were like, I saw when you did that. It looked sick. How did you pull that off? And it's just, you know, I knew what, I knew how much time I had to get it sorted, spotted the problem, did something about it. I think in scenarios like that, there's a way that you can pull it off well and end up looking like the hero. But if you panic and you let the the problems overwhelm you, then you quickly look like a zero. Mm. On that kind of mindset thing, because what you said there is really, really great. It's about keeping your composure in those moments and knowing that you're going to get through it and that it isn't going to be the end of the world, I think is some, is a really great takeaway from that. But just on the whole thing of mindset, do you ever worry when you're putting stuff out in the public domain, whether that be like Facebook, Instagram, whether you're releasing a song, is there any part of you that is worried about how it will be received? Um, not necessarily in terms of comments, but maybe behind your back's probably not the right phrase, but do you ever worry about what people think? Sometimes. I mean, it's really easy to get caught up in how many likes something gets, and that's something I'm probably in the process of, on one hand, learning how the algorithms work, and that if you post something at a certain time of day, if, if we're talking like a social media post, that the time of day can affect how many people see it, how many people end up liking it. Um, and also the sort of, the type of content you post can have a big effect. We recently put up a photo of our new bass player, Eric, and it got immediately the most likes out of any of our posts, lifetime posts, because it was a picture of uh, a person. Uh, a human being and I think that resonates with people more mm. so I'm learning that that sort of thing probably grabs people people's attention span more than what I find more exciting which might be here's our new single cover and I expect that everyone will be like oh my god they're bringing out a new single that artwork's amazing but it's not as personal and it's not as human and it doesn't tend to it doesn't tend to get taken in so well so i wouldn't say i'm worried about what people think um i'm just aware of what people oh, i'm starting to become more aware of what people like to see and that then helps me to feel more confident about what i'm putting out there mm. with regards to music the song lyrics are all very personal to me in the sense that i won't i don't I really try to avoid filler lyrics. So I will slave until I've got something where there's basically there's not a word wasted or a sentence wasted. So 
for me, putting music out and songs is quite cathartic. So songs have helped me through breakups, finding new love, um, hmm. smoking weed, different things. And uh, the song we just put out called Bulldog was like a Brexit commentary. Uh, I didn't want to go too political with that song mm. because I didn't want it to be like, here's my view, yours. I kind of wanted to yeah. find a middle ground that everybody could get behind, which was to poke fun at the the racist bigots that sort of came out of the woodwork after all of that happened. And I think everybody can sort of get behind that. You don't need to have a particular mm. political alliance, allegiance to like or understand where I'm coming from. So with songs, no problem at all with what people think. With content, still not really a problem, but just learning, learning what people want to see and giving them what they want is important. Yeah. Do you think some bands say ones that have just started get a bit caught up in content and overlook the music itself i think i think maybe so and i think i think sometimes we're maybe guilty of that as well but the problem is it's so much harder now you can be a good band that 50 years ago would have I'm not necessarily saying made it, but would have got somewhere, would have had a residency in a club or something like that because the market was so much less saturated than it is now. So the problem now is you can be a good band, you can have the songs, mm. but if you're not marketing yourself in the right way online, then you are pretty much destined to fail which is unfortunate i think but it's just the way it is and we've all got to deal with that and we've all got to work around that the best we can and i do think there is a balance to be struck between concentrating on your live set and rehearsing and making sure that you sound good when you get together and play that that is the most important thing i think but you can't then go radio silent on the internet and expect people to still be interested Big bands can afford to do that. They can afford to go six months and then post their first yeah. thing for however long saying, we've got a new album and we've got a new tour and everyone will go batshit and order the album and order the tickets. But if you're trying to make it, you can't afford to do that. With this whole COVID-19 lockdown nonsense going on, that's not nonsense, but it's tough. Like, we've got new songs to work on and we've also got new songs to release but i'm now conscious of the fact that our social networks have gone somewhat quiet for a couple of weeks and i'm desperately trying to think right what can we give to the people that follow us to to keep them entertained and keep keep us ticking over while we can't get in the rehearsal room and practice mm. I can't remember what the question was. I do like to ramble. <laughs> That's fine, mate. Like, like you said there, it's all about striking a balance. I feel like a lot of bands, their initial mistake is they go too far one way or the other. So they'll release 10 singles within 10 weeks, but have 
no social media presence whatsoever. Or you'll find bands that have thousands of followers on Instagram or whatever, and then they haven't released any music. It seems a bit counterintuitive to do one and not the other. Yeah, I think if you're going to put a single out, you can't just put the single out with one post and say, here it is, off you go. You've then got to justify almost what you've been doing to your followers by saying, and here's a review of it by X Mag, and here it is on the radio by X station. And that can really help people take you seriously. I mean, I've lost count of the number of times that I've been at work or what have you, and someone or a family member has found out that I'm in a band, and then they go, oh, I'd, I'd be interested in hearing it. So then you give them your CD or what have you, and their first thoughts are, oh, this CD looks professional. Hmm. And then they take it home, they put it on in the car or put it on at home, and then they come back and they see you the next day and they go, wow, I didn't expect it to sound all proper. <laughs> And that's always slightly rubbed me up the wrong way because it's almost like people have this view that the professionals are over there doing it properly and then everybody else is just trying to trying to do their own amateur version of it. But that's that there shouldn't be a line there. Like anybody making music, as long as it's recorded to a a reasonable quality as we know with like Billie Eilish and stuff like that they're, they're bedroom essentially bedroom tips and look at the success she's had with them mm. so yeah um, ha- having that having that balance between putting stuff out but then also having the sort of credentials behind you to back up what you're doing so that people can see oh they're out. They're they're playing in London. They're playing in Scotland. They're playing in Wales. Oh, they've been on this radio station. I know that radio station. That must mean they're all right. I do think that counts for something, even though it shouldn't. People should take things. People should take you more seriously, regardless. But they do need that, I think. Yeah, it's it's the concept of social proof, really, isn't it? Yeah. So you were talking there about kind of things you've done and previous releases a lot of the people who are listening to this might not have released music before they might have just started a band what would you say worked well uh, for release strategies and maybe some things that that didn't land so well that you were expecting to do better music videos definitely seem to work well especially if we've always tried to put some thought into making them somewhat fun somewhat entertaining so if if people want to check out our video for our song queen bee um that entails one of us dressed in a bee costume and the others dressed in beekeeper costumes um and a high octane on foot chase through the streets of bridlington and i was extremely hungover that day and was meant to take far far more of a hands-on role in that video but i couldn't face it so i ended up making a cameo at the end being stung by the bee that video did great that video did did fantastic for us because i think a video really can 
make a difference with a song. There, there are songs that I that pass me by when listening on an album or something, and then a band will bring out a music video that I like, and it sort of gives the song a second wind almost. Mm. So I really do think music video, if you can... You don't have to pay an arm and a leg for it. If you've got some friends with a camera and a media degree or whatever. Sorry, I'm, I sound like I'm beating down on people with media degrees. I'm not at all. But, you know, people, your friends who may just be hobbyists with camera and a bit of software that can edit it can hopefully do you a nice, decent music video. If not, look for Facebook stuff local filmmakers and stuff like that and i'm sure you can put something together that would work for you singles i've found there's so much stuff and people have got the ability to share what they're listening to all the time that it's really difficult to cut to cut through the mix and get yourself heard so having that extra visual content can really help we also sometimes get the photographer at a show to maybe do some short video clips of us playing live and then mm. i will just hash that into a 30 second video with the help of a friend with the band logo on it and that's that can be like an up-to-date piece of visual stimuli for people to go hey this is what we're up to this was our gig last week here's some footage but it's not like an amateur handheld camera from the audience because that's more difficult for people to to engage with if it's high quality people will engage with it and as i mentioned earlier people like people like people mm. so with our music videos to go back to that we've up to now we've always had us in the music videos just so we can sort of relate to people and people will recognize us in a in a beatles-esque way like half of what the Beatles achieved was down to their incredible music. But I think the other half was because people liked who they were as people and how fun and jerky they were. And I've, that's something I've strived to, with Let Man Loose, I've strived to sort of try and put that across that, okay, we're not just four guys making music, we're four guys having fun and you can get involved in that and come along with us. So I think if people are just starting out to get that human element into what you're doing will help people pay attention mm. that Beatles comparison is really interesting and I totally agree with it I also want to give you a compliment and add it to a caveat of what you've just said there is that your songs are fantastic it's the whole reason why I know about you guys and why we've been in touch it almost defeats the point of it if you have a great music video but the songs are lackluster so for as much as we talk about kind of having great release strategies it's an important caveat to note that like you need to have those foundations of having well-written songs when i said about words not being wasted lyrically i would say the same thing applies to the music so i wouldn't consider myself a songwriter who can go and grab the acoustic guitar sit down for 20 minutes and come out with a song I need input from the other lads. And in the past, that has been our former bass player, Sam, who would write bedroom demos. Sometimes sometimes the majority of the song put together. So a, a drum track, a bass track, some guitar ideas, and then 
I would then come in at the end and sort of say, okay, move this chorus to there, cut that verse in half, uh, extend that section so I can put a solo, and then I would write some lyrics to go over the top. Mm. Sam has moved on. So I've set myself up with the capability to record bedroom demos. And our new bass player, Eric, has got the same capability. But we will really, really slave over. Or I, I see myself as more of an arranger, if that makes sense, than a songwriter. I do write the lyrics. But I I find myself much more in my element when I'm arranging. And I feel like I've got a good idea of cutting out the unnecessary crap from a song. Mm. And not having a section that winds on for two minutes unnecessarily and making it short, snappy and to the point. So I think I can do that with my lyrics and I can do that with the music and arrange it into something as you've, thank you for your kind words, like something of a similar standard to everything else we do. It would be, it wouldn't work if we had amazing music videos and shit songs and it wouldn't work if we had great songs and crap music videos. Yeah. Everything's got to be of a, a similar standard. You don't have to, you know, do the, the greatest thing in the world, the greatest song ever written, because it takes it takes luck and skill and all sorts to to get there. But you can make something good and of high quality that people can get behind, as long as you keep an eye on the quality of everything as a whole. Yeah. It, it's balance, isn't it? I feel like that's become a key part of like our conversation is everything's got to be about, about balance. Yeah. I think, I think you actually, yeah, you hit on a point there. Every, pretty much every answer to every question has had some element of balance spoken about. Yeah. Okay. So let me take a bit of a dive into recording. Cause we've chatted a lot about, um, release strategies and you've mentioned, you know, you've been in, You've been in bands before, and this is not your first release with Let Man Loose. You've got stuff coming up. So what would you say is the differences between your first recording experience and working on your upcoming single? Funnily enough, uh, my my personal recording career has always been with the same fella. Mm-hmm. He's called Mikey Scott, and he... He started with a studio in an outbuilding at his parents' house. And this was like 10 years ago when I was putting my first band together after school. So it was a f- my first originals band. And we found this guy with really reasonable rates, but he was learning his craft. He was going to university and doing music production. So we we found that every time we'd go to record, it would sound noticeably better each time because he'd he practiced his his skill more and then as we got to let man loose he was like really coming into his own like he was making top top quality recordings that for for quite a grungy dirty heavy band like ourselves the one thing i'd say mikey brought to the table is sort of like a and i i, I don't have any like issues about admitting this, but almost like a radio pop sheen over the top mm-hmm. of some quite filthy music. Yeah. And I think that's like worked like a really good juxtaposition between the actual gnarly live guitars that we have, mm. but also really tightening that up and making it something that can go on the radio. 
Um, and 10 years of working with Mikey uh, has has resulted in some a lot of music that I'm really proud of. He's just moved to Canada, though. So the EP that we just finished, uh, that we recorded at the end of last year, will be our last work with Mikey. Uh, and I feel a good way to round out our career working with him and a good way to round out what we've achieved in the last two years with Jamie and Sam mm -hmm. before we move on with our new guitar and bass players, Luke and Eric. Would you say there's been any big mindset shifts? Because 10 years is a long time. In terms of when you're heading into the studio, do you now approach recording differently than you did? Or is it just the same? I've learned a lot along the way. So when I set myself up with a, with a home recording setup uh, earlier this year, I found myself sort of knowing what to do, even though I've never been the one in control of the, the desk before or the, or the producing. I've never, I never had the hot seat when we were recording. I would just bark my orders and say, ah, can you make this sound like that? Yeah. Not necessarily knowing exactly what plugin to use or exactly what technique to use to get there. I would just say, can you, can you make this happen for me? As a producer, I've been on the receiving end of that quite a few times. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the the working relationship that me and Mikey uh, fostered over the years meant that a lot of the time he knew what I wanted without me having to ask for it. So I might be recording some guitar tracks and he'd already be applying the the effects and the mixing techniques that, that he knows that I like or would ask for anyway, which would mm. definitely save us time in the long run because because it he would make everything sound like what we he knew that we liked. Same with my vocals. I I double track all of my vocals and he knows that I would I don't want to do it any other way because I just like how it sounds. And so he helps me feel he's he managed to help me feel more comfortable because he knows what he knows how to get the best out of me and the other lads because he's worked with us for so long moving forward when we next record some new material we'll naturally be looking to work with somebody new hmm. and rather than be worried about that prospect and think ah oh, oh, I, I, i'm worried that we won't get something good because it's not mikey i'm excited by the the notion of of working with somebody new because hmm. I feel like that's a natural part of what bands do. They record an album with one producer and then the next time they move on or if they liked that particular producer, they might return to them in the future and do something else. And it'd be nice to work with Mikey again, but for the foreseeable future, we'll be uh, looking for some uh, fresh, you know, some fresh hands to, to meddle with our music. Yeah, I think what you said there is it's about embracing the, the change. So working with new people creates new relationships and it, it, it forces you to have a different creative look on things and maybe try things that you wouldn't have done before. And yeah, I just want to compliment you on your attitude for going, well, you know, it's different, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing and kind of leaning into changes rather than being really hesitant. I think there are a lot of bands, regardless of whether it's recording live stuff, that they resist any change because it's the unknown. 
Yeah, so with with working for Mikey so long and him becoming a, a friend of myself and the band, I think the dynamic there was one that um, we we were sort of in charge. Like, So it was up to us whether something sounded good. In, like, obviously, Mikey would, if we'd done a take that wasn't good enough or not up to scratch, he would politely just say, just need one more of that, just need one more of that. And we would do that without any any qualms. But mm. when it came to mixing, like he let us take the reins, if you like. I'm kind of excited by the idea of working with someone who might boss me around a little bit because maybe I need that to see to see how something could be better, like from an objective point of view. Mm. Someone else who knows what they're talking about but doesn't have the worries of like, oh, I don't want to upset this guy. I'm not saying that Mikey feels like that or that anyone should feel like that, but... You know, there is another producer that we that Danny has worked with before in some other projects of his, and he sort of alluded to the fact that he can be quite to the point and quite blunt about things. And in the past, that always worried me a little bit. I was like, oh, I don't want to be told off for playing or singing a certain way. But maybe, like, maybe we could get something better by somebody being that blunt with us and stuff like that. It could work. Mm. Like you said, working with new people breeds new perspectives. So we've done an episode that's coming out uh, a few weeks from the time we're recording this about finding uh, a good producer and kind of the things to look out for. And what you've alluded to there, which I think is totally right, is that there's a producer for everyone, as corny as that sounds. Um, There'll be people, you know, if if you kind of need a strong hand on the tiller so to speak there'll there'll be someone for you if you kind of need someone who's almost going to kind of you know be your coach all the way through it they'll be the right person for you so it's finding that person that works well and with other members of the band to kind of get the result that you want in the end I think there's a lot of emphasis put on technical ability which obviously there has to be a foundational thing but there's also a large aspect of their interpersonal skills as well yeah, I think I think that's right. And it feels like a good time to have wrapped things up with Mikey. Uh because at the same time wrapping up wrapping up things with two members of the original lineup and the producer, it feels like a a good time to to then work with somebody new on the production side of things because otherwise it would be necessary to sort of introduce two new people to Mikey and Mikey to them uh, and that's that would be difficult in itself because you would spend you could be you could end up maybe thinking um oh this doesn't feel like it used to or it feels better or it feels worse and it doesn't need to feel better or worse because it's it might just be different but different doesn't need to be better or worse it's just different yeah yeah I totally agree with that that's that's a really strong statement so that kind of leads me on to my next question with you talking about like pastures new and that is where do you want the band to be in the next year uh we've spent so three three years since let man loose got up and running we've put we've whittled down uh, a selection of songs into what we felt was a really strong set and then over that three years, those songs have been recorded at various different times. We've released a couple of EPs, Volume 1 and 2, 
volumes one and two, and we have volume three ready, which is recorded with the original lineup, all produced under the same roof, and we are going to put out like a, a set of the of the three volumes. So it really does feel like a a changing of the guard, if you like, the sort of wrapping up what we've done up to now, putting a marker in the sand, mm. a line in the sand, if you like, wiping the slate clean and going right. Here's here's what we've done. You can have that. And then my goal for this time next year is to have at least replaced half of the live set with fresh songs. Yeah. I think that would be a good starting point. Our, we, we play, on average, 12 songs a gig. That's probably our our ideal set length. Mm. And at the moment, that, that the 12 existing favorite songs of ours in the catalog it would be nice because i don't i don't want to say right we'll never play those songs again and just just write a, an entirely fresh set of 12 because they're good songs as you've thankfully uh <laughs> said well i like them anyway yeah it would be uh i think a nice target to have six six oldie goldies that we can choose we can choose between from the catalog yeah and then uh, six fresh ones and work towards slowly phasing out old ones and bringing in new ones. Mm. To me, to me, it would be uh, my goal anyway in the next year is to solidify the foundations for what we've got to move forward with now, which is, I think, strong. Yeah. So moving past a year, how in blue sky thinking terms, how do you want the band to be remembered if you're going decades into the future and looking back how, yeah how do you want the band to be to be remembered compared to when i started doing this and playing in bands um when i was younger for me the goal was always to in inverted commas to make it so to be but then again mm. what does make what does making it really mean and over the years i've yeah i've come to realize that like making it can be a, a moving goalpost. Like if you sell, if you did put out a debut album and it sells X copies, then you put the second one out and it sells half of that, then you're going to deem yourself or you may be deemed a failure. So for me, I'd like to be remembered as, I'd like to be remembered for putting out a consistent stream of quality music. Hmm whether we make it in our eyes or anybody else's eyes is of no real importance. Now I just want to have fun with my friends over the course of however many more years we do this for, because that's what it, that's what it should be. It should be fun for us and anybody watching us live or watching us or following us over the internet, over social media, etc., um, They're going to have a better time if we're having fun doing it. Yeah. I think, what you said there is really, really, really important. And that is the aspect of having fun. My follow-up question was going to be, what advice would you give to a band just starting out? And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but what you said there, I think pretty much answers that. And that is to just have fun and that will bleed out into your audience. It will become contagious. Yeah, the goalposts always move, um, whether that's because somebody decides okay, I've got this job opportunity that I can't, I can't turn down. I'm, I'm going to move like Jamie did uh, last year. Uh, it's difficult because on one hand, you sort of feel like, what the hell? I, I thought you were in this like 100%, 110%, like we all thought. 
but you can't have those expectations of people without setting yourself up for disappointment when they when when those uh priorities change as they can do for people in life so i think for me the the biggest lesson i've learned is sort of having that resilience to sort of go well okay that's not panned out exactly how i wanted how can i then make the best of this opportunity so with jamie that was to say okay then if you're if you're taking this job and you want to you're going to move three and a half hours away then why don't we get somebody else in to take your place but your place is then still sort of your seat's still kept warm Mm. if there is a gig that you want to or can do then come and play and then we have three guitars and you know making the best out of a situation that's that for me was maybe less than ideal when I first found out about it ended up in us improving the band because we sound better with three guitars than two because that's how we record our tracks with lots of double tracked guitars mm. and you know that that was that ability to sort of think right okay we put this song out it didn't get the reception we wanted how can we make that better next time this gig didn't go as well as we wanted how can we make it better next time that to me is the most important thing and having fun while you do it is the key yeah it's a really lovely way i think to kind of round off this conversation like it, yeah this has been an absolute pleasure mate i've really enjoyed chatting to you so I think now is a good time for uh, you to plug your single, which is coming out soon. Yeah, we've got a new single coming out called Victory Lap. I'm a, I'm a big motorsport fan. Um, so I, I I wrote a song about the sort of... When, uh, when, when a new couple are in their honeymoon phase, they tend to show that off quite, quite obviously and they don't really care. They're in their own little bubble, if you like. And I think we're all guilty of it. And I definitely was when I met my now partner. Um, so I sort of, I joined that idea up with the uh, the idea that when somebody wins a race in motorsport, they then drive around for an extra lap, waving their arm out the window yeah. and stuff like that to soak up the, uh, the honours. Uh, I've been told it's anthemic and I think that, and they're not my words. They're words of Top Gear magazine. <laughs> Fair enough, mate. Well, uh, we're going to play a clip of it at the end of this show. Um, so if people like it, where can they find you? We are at Let Man Loose on everything. We've just got a shiny new website, which is letmanloose.co.uk. That has links to all of our social media pages. But if you just want to search for Let Man Loose, you'll find everything you need. And that single should be out on the 24th of April, if not the week after. Amazing, mate. Like I said, it's been an absolute pleasure. Pleasure's been all mine.
Struck! <laughs>